Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Medium Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you will find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to, to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep the special service alive. I would now like to introduce our speaker for the night, Leslie. Hi, everybody. I'm Leslie. I'm a compulsive reader and a bulimic. Um, thanks, Atusa, for asking me to speak. I come to this meeting. I love this meeting. And I could get up. I was going blind over there from the sun. Um, anyway, I, uh, right, Veronica? Yes. <laughs> it's that time of year. Um, which shows I've been at this meeting for a long time because I've sat in that seat many times with the sun. Um, I'm so grateful that I am abstinent. Uh, Mickey was asking me if it was my birthday. And uh, my early birthday is um, next month on the 26th, um, 1987. So I'll be 26 next month, um, and uh, I am so grateful, you know, that I'm abstinent and that my life is a million times different than it was when I first came into OA. And uh, I, um, I want to welcome you if you're new um, and tell you that when I came to OA, I wanted somebody to tell me how I was going to be able to stop eating. You know, like stop eating food out of the trash, stop eating other people's food, stop thinking about my food, your food, my thighs, how I was going to take a knife and cut my thigh off. And, you know, it was, it was a constant, it took a lot of work, you know. I just thought about myself all the time. And um, I don't do that anymore, you know. And when I came to OA, I was like, tell me what to do, you know, because I can't live in my head anymore and um, and I could not stop eating you know and I believe of my own will I cannot stop eating and I can't stop throwing up um, but as a result of working the steps and doing everything that was asked of me here I have a lot of I'm free you know I am free today you know I have a you know I have a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition which means that there's lots of stuff I have to do in between, you know, and uh, I, uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I am, um, I actually grew up here in Brentwood, and um, David, woo! <laughs> from the hood, that's right, um, anyway, but my parents are from Kentucky, so they came out here when they were, uh, they were high school sweethearts, they met in Catholic school, and or he was in, you know, boys school, she was in girls school, but um, they moved out here, and my dad's an engineer, and uh, you know, we uh, we actually lived in the valley at first, and um, my dad worked for this small company um, called uh, SDS, which um, then was bought by Xerox. And so once that happened, we moved to Brentwood. You know, and uh, and the thing about me is that you know I grew up in this family like every, my dad is really smart. You know. My name for my dad is Mr. Spreadsheet. You know, if I ever have a problem, my dad wants to put it on a spreadsheet. And um, even today, my dad likes factual, logical information. We don't scream in my family. We don't yell. We're patters, you know. Um, and uh, I actually love being patted on the back. And um, my boyfriend finds it extremely dismissive. Uh, like the pat. But I'm like, in Dr. Bob's last talk, he said, don't get too busy you know, to take the time to help the newcomer and give him a pat on the back, you know. So there, there is something to me about, um, like, 
I wouldn't say, we're not, we just, we're not emotional in my family. And, um, you know, my dad worked for Xerox for 47 years until he retired, you know, and uh, he did the same thing every day at the same time. He functions efficiently, he's logical, he's practical, he doesn't do anything crazy. Um, and my mom was really crafty. She was always um, making something, you know, like my grandma had a kiln and they were always like knitting and sewing and doing all these things. And my mom, they were also kind of like, kind of engineering but alternative. Like my mom sent me to ask when I was growing up and um, I was at Crossroads School then and everybody was going to Est and I guess, I think my parents got divorced at some point. I thought maybe we would move in with another family and I'd call my parents by their first name, which I can say, and we'd all smoke pot together. I think that was my hope, you know, but um, it did not happen. And the funny thing about going to S, like, what you learn there is you get what you get. Be here now. It was like all these things which are actually okay. in Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous, it's all about um, acceptance. You know, that if I accept my life exactly as it is, that's when I'm happy. And, and that's kind of what that was when I was like 13 or 12 or 13 when I went, and I really just didn't get it. So, um, and I went to TM and, um, uh, uh, you know, I remember baking these cookies and going to meditate with the Maharishi Mahishi Yogi in Westwood. And so, so we, we kind of did these things, you know, and then there was my engineer dad. And my brother, uh, Michael, is so very smart as well. Uh, he was on Art Link Letter. When, right? Dating myself. Um, I remember they came to Kenter and he got picked because he was so smart. And uh, I, just, I can remember we were all home watching TV. And we had, like, one TV back then, and uh, I remember they said, what's the ugliest thing you've ever seen? He was like, that's my sister, you know, and I burst into tears, and, and he was in trouble, and, um, I mean, now everybody's on TV. It was, like, a big deal he was on TV, and and I always felt like, like okay, my brother, and this is my story, this sums up my brother, but... You know, when I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, I have ocular melanoma, this rare kind of eye cancer, like three years ago. And I, I, I was at Jules Stein, and they were like, okay, we're going to, we have a solution to your tumor. We're going to take this little gold cup, fill it with radiation, and we're going to sew it in your eye. And um, we're going to leave it there for a week, and you're going to radiate. And nobody can come within six feet of you, which then my mom's husband, who's an engineer as well, he made me a pole that was six feet long, so I could hold my pole, you know. And um, and I told my brother, I was like, Michael, I'm going to be home for a week in my bedroom with a lead patch, and I'm radioactive, so you can't come within six feet of me. And my brother sort of like paused and he said I'm going to come over with a Geiger counter and um, uh, like he's like a weirdo like that you know geeky weirdo he came over he was beyond excited it was like the flow like science experiment on my sister you know my mom made this video we put on YouTube but um he was like he was like sweating, you know, and, and he had that like I mean who even has a Geiger counter? Like I don't even know. My friends don't have things like that. But he had friends, so I just remember he in the video he's like like you know, and like my eye was like off the chart, you know, and um and 
he did this whole report, and, and I think he basically determined that for me to really nuke you, you would have to sit in front of me for a very long time, and you would get the same amount of radiation that was coming off the earth in, I don't know. He wrote a big, long report, um, like, like a project, with links in case I wanted more information. <laughs> but let me just tell you, once you've had this thing, like, I actually tried to get it when they took it out, and I asked my surgeon, I said, do you think I could have the the thing and she said well they're gold so we melt them down and reuse them you know and uh, and I didn't you know I was done with it at that point but uh, uh, you know so that's my brother so uh, so when I grew up I was really athletic I mean I look back now I was an amazing gymnast I mean I can say that now I didn't feel that then because I just never felt anything about myself it was never enough for me you know and but I mean I worked out five six days of the week we competed but I was so afraid and I was just walking down the street from work talking to one of my sponsees and she said I'm afraid all the time and I said it'll end you know, it will be replaced by something else. I can. She goes, are you sure? I said, absolutely. Like, why would we stay? You know, why would we stay if our lives didn't get any better? And um, But I was afraid when I was a kid. And, and my brother was just really, my brother's like, he's like a savant. Like, information just regurgitates from, he, he's facts. He knows everything. I can add in his head. Like, you throw out all these numbers and he's like a, you know, he's like a, calculator you know just the, it's amazing and I'm not like that but I've learned that at first everybody learns in different ways and and so here I was I was doing gymnastics I had horses I used to have a stable up in Crestwood Hills as David knows and uh, um, I had this great life but the thing about me is that I I just it's just not enough for me I want something different like once I get something I'm like looking over like I think I want what you have like I order food I'm like I think I want your dinner you know and uh, and I just felt not smart enough not right and I, I started my first deal well I was thin you know and but I, I always had this notion which was that if I'm thinner I will be happier you know, and I have learned that, like, first thin does not equal happy because I've been very thin at times and really unhappy because um, they were bad periods in my life. But um, I started drinking and doing drugs. That was my first deal. You know, like, 11, I started smoking pot, and, uh, you know, that started me off on that, that path. And, you know, through high school, I just remember we were always – we always wanted to do the Vidal Sassoon cleansing diet, you know. And uh, and then we would, like, start, and we'd – I don't know what we'd do. I don't remember what we ate. And, and then we'd smoke pot, and I'd, like, eat everything in sight, you know. And so so what ended up happening what, – what, when my disease really kicked in was when I was 22, my grandfather, who's sober – he got sober in 1952 – 12 step me into Alcoholics Anonymous and um, uh, I, I just have to put in a plug for the 12 step you know that the big book really talks about one um, well it says alcoholic but can one overeater can gain the trust of another instantly you know that we understand and I just really firmly believe that whenever I tell somebody about myself regardless of whether they want to come to an OA meeting, don't want to come to an OA meeting, the seed is planted, and when we plant those seeds, you never know when they will take root and grow. You know, and and I loved my grandfather more than I loved anybody 
ever, really. And um, we were just, we were tight. You know, everybody knew I was his favorite, probably because we were both alcoholics. But, um, uh, and I would go to Kentucky and see him, and he was just the greatest guy. And, um, you know, and you have to know, too, that you're a quiet example all the time. You know, that I might be the only example people see of Overeaters Anonymous in action. Like, everybody at my work knows I bring lunch. They all think I just eat this food, and I'm just naturally the size I am. And, and I, I've watched them all do cookie diets. Jenny Craig, you know, like, I've seen every diet. I work in a salon, so every diet. Somebody has meal delivery right now because I saw her food. And she goes, it's a couple little calories short, so she was eating some cookies to make up the extra calories. Um, and there I am just eating my salad and thing that I make. And, and, uh, and I heard her over, I heard the girl next to me who's been on like every diet um, say one time like, oh, well, Leslie doesn't have any problems. She just eats that. She just eats healthy all the time. And I thought, no, I actually work a 12-step program and I have a, I have a daily reprieve based on a lot that I've done. But I'm, I like that I sort of pass as a normal person, you know, and uh, so when I got, so my grandfather 12-stepped me and I went to, I, I came to AA, um, June 19, 1985, I got sober, and I've been sober, God willing, since that day. So 28 years and four months, um, a couple days. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. But what ended up happening, you know, before that, like, when I, before I got sober, I was doing a lot of crystal meth, MDA, ethyl-like things. I don't even know what they are. But um, I didn't eat. I will tell you, I lived. I didn't sleep. I would stay up for three, four nights. I was very sparkly. I danced with drag queens. And um, I was at a place called Probe. So... um so I didn't, I didn't actually eat. I mean, I'm, I'm literally like, I didn't go to the market. I didn't buy food. I might, like, have some grape juice from Noggles and some wheat thins. Or, like, I just was like, I was like, I lived a very strange existence because we were tweaked out and dancing, and it was just strange. So, so, and I would never spend food, money on food, like I buy drugs. So, um, uh, anyway, so when I got sober, I was thin, I suppose, and then once I got sober, I was smoking, because smoking, you know, and I was always smoking, and then I started eating, and boy, once that, once that switch, like, flipped, I could not unflip it, you know, and I could not stop eating, you know, and at a, if you go to AA meetings, I mean, there were, like, candy, cookies, you know, like, there's snacks up everywhere, so I was, like, binging at meetings and eating like crazy, and um, I just... I could not stop, you know, and then I was at Clancy's yard with all these cute little bulimic girls, and they were all talking about throwing up, and I thought, I think I'm going to throw up, you know, and uh, and I had gone back to school, so I was at SMC, and I have to say, school made me want to throw up anyway. I just, <laughs> I don't like school. I, like, I've been able to get by a lot on who I knew, personality, just, you know, I could find my way. I'm pretty street smart, but when you're in school, like, they want you to do the work. You know, they want you to write the paper. Um, I didn't like it at all, and and I don't really want to work. It's that whole, like, I want to wake up and I want to speak French. I do not want to take a French class. Um, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to ask questions. I just want to know, you know, and, um, and, and school was not like that, you know, and so I was, I learned in AA, I had learned to sit in the front, 
to take notes. You know, I got a tutor, but but it brought up all these feelings of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm you know all of that. And so I went to school. I was working Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I went to school Tuesday, Thursday, and I would come home from Santa Monica College. I would turn on the TV. I would eat, throw up, eat, throw up, eat, throw up, and then I'd brush my teeth and go off to my AA meeting. You know, and uh, and there's something about that like check out, no answering the phone, nothing. And it, it, what it did for me, like looking back now, it eliminated every feeling I ever had. Because I'm not really big. Like I said, I didn't grow up big feelings in our family. Like my, my dad is just neutral all the time. You know, he's like unruffled, you know. And, uh, and I had a lot of feelings, you know. And so I have learned here that it's okay and that, you know, feelings do have like, it's like pain that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know, that all feelings will pass if I sit through them. But if I divert, whether I'm, you know, smoking or eating or throwing up or drinking, you know, if I if I go around, it's coming back for me eventually. Like, that is what I've learned. But if I feel bad, I can feel bad, cry. When I had cancer, I felt bad a lot of the time, but I'd cry and say a prayer and I'd go off to work and I'd work, you know, like, it doesn't mean I sit in my house and I'm incapacitated, you know, so... So all that throwing up, it just it eliminated all those feelings for me, and um, and I was and I was petrified that I about getting fat. I was like, I, I can't get fat. I'll die. I'll you know. And what I've learned is that I really have no control over anything. You know that I am powerless. You know, and so I ended up. Um, my sponsor, I think my sponsor looked at me one night at the meeting and, you know, if you spend your whole day throwing up, you look a little weird, you know, like my eyes were all bloodshot and, you know, you're all weird and weird and isolated and strange and in that weird separate place and she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, nothing, you know, and I, I remember, I can remember clearly I was driving on the 10 freeway towards the tunnel that pops you out onto PCH, which I used to always pray during that through. You know, you hold your breath in the tunnel. You're supposed to hold your breath. Or you're supposed to push the ceiling, I think, and lift your feet. But when you're driving, you can't do that. But I would hold my breath in the tunnel for, like, you know, love and peace and good things. And, and I, I just I thought I have to tell her the truth. Like, she's not my therapist. You can lie to your therapist all you want. You know what I mean? Like, I've lied to people my whole life. I'm a huge liar, you know. Um Stealer, liar, you know, I don't really care. And um, so I just thought, what's the point of having a sponsor if I don't tell her the truth? You know, her objective is that I was at that point too well in Alcoholics Anonymous and stay sober. That's it. You know, so I called her up and I told her the truth. And she said, why don't you call this woman, Sia, who I actually still know. And, um, and I called Sia and I don't even know if Sia was in OA. She had had an eating disorder. I'm not sure. But she said, I, you should go to OA. And so um, I said, okay, you know, and, and I, I, I walked into the, there was a Brentwood women's sexuality meeting at somebody's house in Brentwood on a Thursday. And I went to that meeting and I sat in that meeting and I identified so much. It was, I think it was an anorexic bulimic meeting. Um, no, I kind of identified, actually, to be a bulimic, you have to be a compulsive reader. I remember thinking, like, well, I'm just a bulimic, but that's actually not true. So um, when, I was eating, when I was throwing up, I didn't, like, eat normally. I was compulsively eating. So, but in this meeting, I, I just, I totally identified, and I was petrified, because I'm like, I don't want to stop. I can't stop. It's my, it's my last ditch, you know, like, I'm hanging on to it. And uh, 
But I heard, which I will tell you, that if you keep coming back, you can stop throwing up or you can stop overeating. All you have to do is keep coming back, you know. And so I kept coming back, and we, we that was back, we used to go to the Drug and Alcohol Center. It was on Robertson, and then it moved up to Santa Monica Boulevard and to this Monday night meeting that started at 1045. Like, it's, like, so late to me now. Like, but... Uh, and it was all these anorexic bulimic girls, some I still know to this day, and we were all cuckoo. And I think the last time I threw up, which was the, like, this has got to end, was, was at my mom's, and I was living at my mom's, and I had kind of a room above the garage, and I threw up in a bag in the closet because the toilet, oh, the toilet had backed up in the flower garden, so it's never good, you know. Um, like, oh, don't know what that is, you know. Like, like, even now, if I go to a restaurant and there's salad floating, you know there's a bulimic in that bathroom, you know. And, uh, right? Kind of gross, but, uh, right. So, but throwing up in a bag in a closet is pretty gross, and tying it off, and I had to, like, carry it out, you know, um, so I just, I just, I stopped, you know, I mean, there was one day where it was like, my abstinence, oh, it's, I can tell you the day, it was Thanksgiving, 1987, I was afraid to leave the house, because I was going to go to big AA parties with lots of food, and I thought, if I leave this house, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw up all day, or I'm going to binge all day, so I'm just going to stay home and do it at home, you know, um, so I, uh, I was sponsoring a girl who was in OA, but I was her AA sponsor, and we were going to go to this big party together. And I said, well, let's go together. And she goes, we'll go together, and we'll just eat one plate of food. And I was like, okay. So we went to this lady Sharon's house, which I always tell her, I got abstinent at your house, you know. And uh, we went in the bathroom, and we said a prayer, and we got our one plate of, you know, turkey and whatever, Thanksgiving. Ate our food. I went back in the bathroom. We got on our knees. I said a prayer. I didn't throw up. I went off to this other AA meeting that night, and that was my first day of abstinence. And um, so Thanksgiving I always love because, to me, it's just a day to have another meal. It's not a gluttonous feast. And um, and if I could do it on that day, I could do it on any day, you know. And, um, and then my abstinence is I do not throw up no matter what. No matter what I put in my mouth, I cannot throw up. And it was so incredibly hard for me. I wasn't used to eating and being full. I couldn't be full. Like, if I was full, it was that, it's the switch thing. Once that switch flipped, like, I'm going to throw up, it was like there was no stopping it. But one day at a time, I ate. I mean, I had to do all these things. Like, I would eat. I can't sit at the table long. I even hate sitting at the table now, you know. And uh, eat, I get up and I wash dishes. Or I would eat and I would brush my teeth. I, I used to smoke, but I couldn't do that anymore. So I would eat and go take, like, a, a walk around the block. Or I had to do something to change, like, I'm done eating now. Eat and say a prayer, you know. And I learned all those things here, you know. And I had phone numbers. I had people to call. So I never had to do that alone. And... Um, a couple things I did when I was new is I went to a lot of meetings, for one, and um, I got a lot of phone numbers. I had a lot of peers, you know, a lot of girls that were in the same boat as me, and uh, I got rid of my scale because I weighed myself constantly. Well, I weighed myself every Monday. There was a little square on my 
Day Runner, whatever we had back there, book, and I would put my weight. And if it was high, I was bummed out and I would overeat. And if it was low, I'd be like, I'm great, you know, and I'd overeat. So I just stopped weighing myself, you know. And um, even today, you know, I mean, when I go to oncology and I, I go to all these doctor's appointments where you kind of can't say, like, no, don't weigh me. Like, it works sort of at my doctor's office. They get a little annoyed with me. But oncology, uh, I always turn my back. And you always get that, like, wise ass who says the number under their breath. or Like, they, they do all sorts of things. I mean, I don't know if they, they think, oh, she's fine. Like, but I'm like, I just don't want to know. Like, I don't want to know, you know. It's just better if I don't. It's made me happier, saner. For me, it's a good thing. I don't want a scale in my house. My daughter brought one home one time. I threw it away. She's like, where's that scale? I said, it's gone now. Um, <laughs> uh, and it was like right in her bathroom. And I'm like, I know you're going to be stepping on it constantly, you know, which is like crazy making. It just kept me more in the problem. I do better when I'm in the solution, you know. And part of the solution is I just got busy. Because the less I think about myself, the better I'm doing. You know, that's why... We work with each other because when I'm thinking about you and what you can do and how I can help you and what your problems are, and I'm not thinking about myself. I mean, I get a lot of phone calls in the morning. Sometimes my boyfriend's like, God, you're just like one day at a time. Easy does it. Let's just stay in the now. He's like, you're just hammering them out. <laughs> I, said, well, I said, you want me to give you one? Um, but, uh, Sometimes that's all it is, is really this too shall pass. I mean, there is no solution to most of my problems, and that most of my problems die of neglect, you know. Uh, and I believe that absolutely, you know. The, the best thing to do is absolutely nothing and just get busy, you know. My sponsor used to say they should pay us to let us work. Working is the best thing for me to do. Sitting in my house is the worst thing. TV, bad, home, you know, all that stuff. And... And at first, I, my food was all over the place. You know, I didn't, I didn't miraculously have great food, you know, and, uh, but I didn't throw up. I went to a lot of meetings. I took commitments at my meetings. Um, I did everything that was asked of me, and I had good AA training, which has really held me in good stead in OA, you know, is that I, I had already done all of that stuff, and, and I was dying. You know, I did not want my life anymore. I want to kill myself, you know. Like, I always felt like the food was going to take me out of AA, you know, and um, it was going to kill me, you know. And so I... Um, I think I started sponsoring people, and, you know, I'm a firm believer in sponsoring people. Like, if you are a step ahead of somebody, you can help them. You know, I, I my big pet peeve is when people say I'm full. You know, I just don't think that that is the solution for me. I always, I just said somebody asked me to sponsor them last night, and I said, of course, you know. Um, because you never know when somebody will say, I went to OA and I asked somebody to sponsor me, and they said no, you know. And that's not what it, it says on the back of the, you know, some of those cards, you know, the hand of AA is always there. Like, I am the link in the chain, and it is my responsibility to give it away, you know. And and I think that's also, like, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a machine. I don't answer the phone 24-7. I have times when I can talk to people. They can leave me a message. I'll call them back when I'm working. I don't talk on the phone. Like, there is a way to organize sponsorship, I do believe, you know. And uh, I learned that also from my sponsor. You know, if I can't get a hold of my sponsor, I do nothing. I make no decision. I don't quit my job. I don't break up. I don't do anything. I wait, you know. And half the time, just... 
Sandy Beach, the speaker, talks about that, that in that waiting and, and like, taking, like, five cleansing breaths, it lets, like, the light of God just blow through the situation. And I don't have to do anything because most of the time my problems will solve themselves, you know. And um, I, uh, I got married here and, um, oh, my God, when I got married, it was so weird to me when – he would bring home food, and it was like, I, okay, I also learned that if something is calling my name, I throw it away. And I mean, I don't throw it away like I could get it back. I would throw it down the trash chute. I lived on the 12th floor of this building on Ocean Avenue, and um, or even now I could sprinkle things with salt if they're in the trash. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I, or dump some kitty litter on it, or, you know, something. <laughs> um, but I would throw his food away. I remember he's like, where's those brownies? I bought home, brought home from the meeting. I'm like, I threw them away, you know. So, so I kind of had to learn, like, I can't always throw things away. But... Like many times in my work when somehow everybody's sure that we need extra food, all those girls, you know, and uh, Krispy Kreme. They brought the Krispy Kreme, you know, and and I could see them from where I'm cut. They were on this ledge, but in my mirror I could see them, and I thought if I take one bite of those, I'm going to eat them all day long, you know. And it took me forever to learn that it's the first bite that will get you. It's not the tenth. It's starting. Like, I can't have one bite, you know, and so... I thought, oh, my, I could smell them, actually, from where I was working. So I went in the bathroom. I got on my knees. I'm a big believer in getting on your knees in the bathroom at work. I've done it so many times. I've done it just on bad days. But I said, God, please help me not to take one bite of those donuts that are not mine. And I don't want them. I do. But I don't want them. And uh, I went back and I worked. I never thought about it again. So I know that when I ask for help, it's always given. But I have to ask, you know, and a a big part of staying abstinent and it is developing that spiritual realm, you know, and I think the big book is so nice that it it really discusses, like, me and Lucy were reading actually in the OA 12 and 12, the 11th step, or no, in the AA 12 and 12, but, you know, that it's like the the realm of the spirit is broad and roomy and it's all-inclusive and it's never exclusive and it's open to all those who seek, and it doesn't even matter if you believe it. It just matters that you do it, you know. And then over the course of time, I mean, obviously it's been all, a long time for me. I, My God has gotten huge, you know. And I know that with God's help I could do anything. Not by my own will, you know. And uh, my food has gotten, you know, cleaner, easier. A lot of time I'll just make the better choice. But it doesn't mean that it's, it's if I don't keep doing what I'm doing, I, I do believe I will go back, you know, because I've had, I cannot rest on my laurels. You know, it's a constant, like, all the, all the little things, you don't know what it is that keeps it going. Is it praying? Be- I always pray before I get into bed. Is it reading spiritual stuff in the morning, making phone calls, calling my sponsor, you know, helping new girls speaking at meetings, having a commitment. Like, you don't know what it is. Like, so I might as well, I'm going to keep on doing all of it, so I'll keep getting what I'm getting. And um, anyway, you know, I got married. I got divorced. I was very thin when I got divorced, not by choice. And um, that's why I know that being thin will not make me happy because I was really thin, and I was so stressed out. I had a one-year-old. And a lot of stuff was going down, and it was just, it was intense. And um, uh, my mom was bringing me insure at work, and it just was intense. And I, it was so incredibly painful. Like, 
I remember one time I went to buy some sad song that I heard on. I was gonna, I was gonna, I think I started smoking again. I was smoking Lucky Strikes because that's what he smoked. Nothing like a Lucky Strike to eliminate a lot of feelings, but <laughs> like it gives you a head rush, like you're gonna pass out. But I was, I was went to buy this song. If I heard it now, it was, it, it, anyway. And then I, I, I guess I bought it. We had to buy like a CD or a, maybe a tape. But um, I went home and I. I realized he had taken the stereo. I had no stereo, you know, and that was before, like, you could get everything on your iPod. I mean, it's so, so easy now. I think I just smoked my Lucky Strike and felt sad, you know, and, uh, but I just felt bad for a long time, and I would look. I just, I started running at that time. I was running with a bunch of sober people, and I ran a bunch of marathons because I'm a little compulsive, so, uh, and it was actually really, really fun. We met every Sunday morning at 7.30. It made me part of something. I pushed my daughter in the stroller up and down San Vicente along the beach. She went on, like, 20-mile runs, and um, <laughs> my friend Ray would be like, you know, come on, Liz, you know, and we'd come to Starbucks, and he'd have a coffee, you know. Uh, I love stuff like that, and people would push my daughter, and, and, and there was something about, like, I took these actions. Like, I can't run a marathon. Even when I was a gymnast, I was not a great runner. He, when I would vault, he would be like, no, you're not a great runner. You know, I was strong. Uh, but anyway, so I was like, I don't really like running. But I'm running because I can push the stroller and I don't have a babysitter. And, and, um, and I don't know. I don't really want to run this marathon. I don't think I can. I'm, like, crying in my 10-mile runs. And, and, but I did it. I took the action. I did the next indicated thing. I suspended my belief about how it was going to be and that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I just followed my whole little group of people. And we had a schedule. We followed a, you know, Galloway's training schedule and did our long runs on Sunday. And, and then we all went to Vegas um, to run the Vegas Marathon. And uh, it was the greatest thing. I was with a girl I sponsored, Linda, and um, she was a great runner. She was a good athlete. And we had a plan. We were going to run, you know, whatever, running eight-minute miles. We were fast then. Um, and uh, she's probably still fast. But um, anyway, so we, we were running, and I was running, and, you know, it was 10 miles, 12 miles, like somewhere around 18, 20. I, I was listening to also some, like, like Thelma Houston or something I used to listen to at the parade, you know, some those mm, drag queen like, you know, inspirational girl, you know, and, uh, and I was listening to this music and, and running and I was like, I'm running a marathon. Like, I'm running a marathon fast, you know, like, wow, I don't even like running and I'm running a marathon. And, uh, and we finished and we had like a, you know, I ran it in 3:53, and I was so stoked, and and all my sadness and troubles left on that road in Vegas. Like I popped through all that divorce stuff and came out a happier person, you know. So that's how I know things will pass, you know. When I wasn't doing anything about it, and I was, and, and that to me kind of is what happens here: is that I take actions I don't believe in. I don't think it's going to work, but I believe my sponsor. That's all that matters, and I'm a little afraid of my sponsor, so I'll do what she tells me, you know, and uh, and that has helped me, you know. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what I do. You know, it's that whole we can't think our way into good actions. We have to act our way into good thinking. And and then, you know, I was a single mom, very hard, you know, but you know what? My daughter's 20, and she's a really good kid, and we get along really well. And I, you know, I did uh, give myself a good pat. I did a really good job. Not without my sponsor actually nailing me down a couple times and really socking it to me and, and telling me things I really didn't want to hear, you know. And I believe 
that Marion W., my sponsor who passed away this year, um, man, she had my back, you know, but boy, she was brutal sometime, you know, and, and the deal is, is that she wanted more for me than I wanted for myself. I like, I start, I'm a good starter, I'm strong, but I quit, you know, and um, I'm not really in it during the hard stuff, so I am so happy that she believed in me and told me the truth, even though it hurt my feelings, you know, and that to me is great sponsorship, you know, and, but I know she loved me more than anything and I always miss her, you know, uh, I have a new sponsor and I, I love my sponsor now and she's a good, good, she works a great program. So, and, and, you know, when I got cancer too, you know, um, everything was fine. I was in Hawaii having a lovely time and, I was in the airport, and I remember looking at my boyfriend. I didn't wear glasses. I had LASIK, so I had actually really stellar vision. And um, I couldn't see him, you know, across the thing. And I was like, oh, whatever. You know, my eye was kind of bothering me. I thought, oh, maybe I have a sunburned eye. So I think I even looked it up. So, you know, don't look up your own conditions, you know. Um, uh, I thought, maybe my eye's sunburned, you know. And then I was, like, kind of driving, like, I can't read. And before, I was, like, 2015, so I could I could see things extremely clearly. So... I finally thought, I should maybe call a doctor, you know, um, because I, I like to think of myself as a doctor, you know. Um, I love to prescribe things for you, you know. Um, but I'm a big over-medicator. That's why I do not prescribe anything for myself. And uh, so I, I went to see a doctor, and, and sure enough, you know, I have this really rare kind of cancer only like 1,500 people a year get. And they sent me off to a couple specialists and then to Jules Stein, and, and uh, I ended up having this plaque thing that was really quite creepy, actually. And um, it kind of freaks me out that I actually did it, but I had no choice. That's kind of what happens when they tell you what they're going to do to you to solve your problem. But I learned so much. I remember my friend saying, um, Mary saying, this will change you in ways you don't even know. And it did, you know. Because I'm kind of not cold, but I'm not super fuzzy, and um, I'm kind of practical. I'm kind of like a baby spreadsheet, but um, <laughs> I, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not really needy. I'm competent. I can get a lot of stuff done. Boy, I could not do stuff then. First, um, after they did it, they were also, oh, it's great. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I'm blind, you know. Um, like, I can't see anything, you know. And, and, and there were all these weird unknowns because I had a lot of experimental stuff done. I'm in a study there, and, and uh, nobody would tell me, like, if I was going to be able to see. Like, that was the big thing. Like, she said, you'll probably lose some of your vision, your color vision. Your, you know, you're never going to fly a plane. I remember her telling me that. I was like, okay, you know. And uh, so anyway, so I had to live with things. First, I had to ask for a lot of help. I mean, Kim took me to a doctor's appointment. People drove me. I wasn't even comfortable, like, running because I, I only had, like, kind of one eye, and that kind of makes you off, you know. And um, uh, so I was scared, and then what I do when I'm scared is I pray really hard, you know. And so I prayed a lot. I meditated a lot. I really asked God to help me because um, it was so unsure, and I didn't want to die, you know. I mean, there's also... The you know you could have metastasis, which really results in not good things. Um, so um, my spiritual life grew through that time. So in some ways, like I also believe very much in focusing on all the good. You know that when I complain and focus on things and want people to feel sorry for me, it doesn't serve me at all. And the the book talks about that in one of the stories. You know, in that doctor, alcoholic addict, or whatever it's called, physician, heal thyself. I don't know what it's called now, but 
um, you know, that when I focus on the good, like I have health insurance, I live very close to Jewel Stein, you know, I had an gr- unbelievable search, and she's head of ocular oncology there, and she went on maternity leave shortly after she saw me, so I'm glad I got her before she went on early leave, and um, I have a good family, my mom was really helpful, she was vacuuming everything in sight in my house, she's never stopped vacuuming for a week, I, I come out and she was like doing the coils into the refrigerator, and, um, <laughs> She answered the phone for me, told everybody what was going on, and it was nice. Like, there's something, and my brother coming over, like, there's something I look back, and it was, I was stuck in the bedroom, you know, and uh, it was it was nice. Like, it wasn't nice, but it was nice. I knew people loved me, and I could ask for help. You know, like, I'm, I'll help you. I'd love to help you. I'd love to, you know, go to the doctor with you, do whatever, but, oh, I just hate having to ask people. And, uh, and so it is, you know, and so my life has just kind of unfolded, and, and kind of just turned out, I think, the way God wanted it to be. Because I don't believe there are mistakes. I don't believe anything's happened to me by mistake. I don't think God points at you and says, let me have something happen to you, like a Jesus would always ask. You know, I just believe that life happens, as it does for all of us. And God gives me the tools I need to get through it. And my experience, then I can help somebody else. That's all. You know, and so I don't regret anything that's happened to me in the last while and I've had a lot of things happen you know but I'm my food's really good I plan my meals I have a plan every day and um, I I just think I'm really really lucky you know and so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing so thank you for letting me share does anybody have a question yes can I talk about my spiritual practice yes um I think I did the fake it till you make it for a long time. Like my sponsor said, pray in the morning, pray in the night. I read some things. I kind of got it. But I do believe very much that um, pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth. You know, that I never woke up and said, today's the day I'm really going to grow and do all this work. And and so I think around... um, Maybe when I was like 18 in the program, I, I got a new big book, and I started going through the book again. And then, I mean, what I do now has evolved very much. But, uh, I mean, my, my daughter's boyfriend was killed. It'll be two years in November. And after that, my sponsor was ill. My dad's girlfriend died. It was this, My dad got the staph infection. I mean, it was a series of things. And then having cancer made me slow down because I also believe that I can pray but then I have to meditate to hear what God's saying when I'm busy like I always thought it was really a great accomplishment to multitask and be busy and do a thousand things and make to-do lists and cross them off but I was so busy all the time so when I had cancer I was really slow I moved slowly because I I would bump into things because I can't see anything out of the side I had to relearn how to do a lot of stuff and so that slowing down made me sit quieter and really listen to, like, what is God saying to me? What is my... And I think as you get older, too, you know, what is my purpose? What's my purpose? You know, I mean, to help others, to be of love and service, but what is my purpose? And and so today, and I'll wrap it up with this, is that, you know, I get up every morning. The book says, you know, we have to seek God early in the day before it's crowded out by other things. So I do not touch my iPad. I don't, you know, no... no Candy Crush, no, you know, <laughs> uh, nothing. And I, I read, uh, I read actually the 24-hour day book. I read this thing called God Calling, and um, each day, and a couple of spiritual books. I read something from the big book, um, 
and then when Bobby gets up, we meditate. And I drink coffee before meditation. He does not, you know, and, uh, and we meditate for 10 minutes. And during that time, I, I do this whole white light clearing thing and get myself in a love bubble, as my friend likes to say. Are you in your love bubble? And then I just ask God, like, show me what you'll have me be. Thy will not mind be done. Because that really has to be, that, that's it. Show me what you'll have me be. And then I go about my day. So, and then I pray during the day. But, but it's really evolved, and I think quickly, but death has made me meditate more because there's a lot of people that I miss that I seek in meditation, and I feel them more when I'm very still, like my sponsor and like Max. And, and I know they're there, but I have to be quiet to hear it. So I think meditation, I'm just going to do one little plug for it, is that people always say I can't meditate, and I do believe that anybody could set their timer on their iPhone for two minutes and breathe in and out and then you've meditated. You know, there is no perfect way to meditate. There is no perfect food. Nothing is perfect. But as long as I'm on the path and I'm trying, I make those spiritual deposits in my bank because there will come that time when I need to withdraw. And I want to keep it there. So God is happy that I've been seeking him all along is the way I look at it. So thanks for the question. Thanks for having me share.